Hey everyone, happy new year. Welcome to 2022 in the Quest Life podcast. I'm Dr. Ed Slover and I'm fiercely passionate about life, love, leading, and learning with a little laughter sprinkled in. Really excited about 2022. As we all know, the last couple of years have been a little bit challenging. So here is to new beginnings. Today, I'll be discussing common sense approaches to sustainable weight loss done in a way that doesn't disrupt your life. So let's go ahead and get started. A little bit of background. In a former life, prior to my career as a university professor, I worked in the commercial health and fitness industry, and I did that for 16 years and held a variety of jobs. Uh, early in that journey, I was a certified personal trainer, certified nutrition coach through a number of organizations. And I picked up um, not only a lot of scientific knowledge, but a lot of practical knowledge. Um, for those of you that know me, I have a passion for nutrition, fitness, and wellness. Uh, I live it out every day. And whenever I can, I like to help others realize uh, some, some transformation that they have in mind. So when it comes to nutrition, fitness, and wellness, especially this time of year, because the number one New Year's resolution each and every year is weight loss, followed by uh, quitting smoking, reducing drinking, maybe exercising more, is that people get really enthusiastic about pursuing their goal, and rightfully so, they should. Part of the challenge, though, is the change that they're making in their lives is highly disruptive. They decide they want to go get a gym membership, maybe even hire a personal trainer, and they commit to themselves to go four, five, six days a week, which they're inserting something else into this fixed time pie each and every week. And it's that in and of itself is highly disruptive. Then you bring in the nutrition element where you know, people take stock of, um, of their diet and want to make changes and they decide, hey, I want to I want to eat healthier, which is certainly a noble pursuit. But the, the changes that are ultimately made are it, it, you know, potentially drastic or they turn to any one of the 30,000 fad diets that are listed with the Food and Drug Administration, which all of them have one thing in common, which they're all low calorie disguised by some marketing gimmick. I'll explain an example of that uh, here in a little bit. And while the pursuit is noble, the change is, is significant. It's highly disruptive. And so that brings me to my personal philosophy and practice with regard to sustainable weight loss and long-term weight control. And that's this idea of non-disruptively simple. What I'd like to do is I'd like to take a holistic view of people's lives and figure out how can we progress towards a desired weight loss goal or fat loss goal while not disrupting their day-to-day -day lives or minimally disrupting uh, their day-to-day -day lives. Right, so I want to introduce you to a former coworker of mine and dear friend, Deb. I met Deb seven years ago and Deb, once she learned my background, she started asking some questions and um, disclosed to me that she wanted to lose 50 pounds. So this would have been December of 2014. 
And as I listened to her tell her history of getting results in the past through uh, some of these fad diets um, and then rebounding or yo-yoing from those, I could tell that she uh, was both frustrated but serious about um, achieving sustainable weight loss. And so I let her know right up front. I'm like, Deb, you have to understand my my whole take on long-term weight control, and it centers around non-disruptive changes. But there's a few principles that you have to learn, some foundational principles and concepts that you need to learn in order to uh, have this make sense, have some of the strategies and tactics that uh, I'll suggest to you make sense. And keep in mind, these aren't recommendations. These are suggestions. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a registered dietitian. I can't formally make recommendations, but I can make suggestions and then uh, certainly leave it up to Deb or anyone else that's interested. So the first principle that I introduced to Deb was the first law of thermodynamics, which states energy is neither created nor destroyed. It just takes a different form. So if you think about the pen that I'm holding, the pen is made out of plastic. Well, where does plastic come from? Plastic is a petroleum-based product. It comes from oil. Oil comes from the earth. Earth, The oil in the earth has an energy value to it. So if it takes twice as much oil to make the plastic that encapsulates this this pen, um, what happens to the energy value from the point we start processing this oil to the actual finished finished product. Well, there's certain, certainly some waste involved. It's called ash. So we're actually not destroying the oil. We're actually transforming that into yuck. And then we discard it and we give it back to the earth. Most of the energy that's in that oil is lost in the form of heat. So energy is neither created nor destroyed. It just takes a different form. In this case, we give it back to the earth in the form of heat. And so when we think about mammals, whether you're talking about human beings or dogs or cats or bears, um, whenever we think energy, we think food. More specifically, we think calorie. And let me tell you, the definition of what a calorie is could not be sexier. (laughs) The definition of a calorie is essentially this. It's the amount of heat it takes uh, to raise one gram of water one degree. I mean, that is the ultimate pickup line. It's the amount of heat necessary to raise uh, one gram of water one degree. That's ultimately what a calorie is. So, And if we think about energy storage, we store energy in the human body in a variety of, a variety of forms. In terms of muscle and liver stored energy, Uh, We store it in the form of glycogen, which is sugar, and certainly we can uh, store body fat. And we can also, we can store body fat, um, intramuscular body fat. We can certainly store it in the liver. But whenever we, when we typically think about wanting to lose weight, what we're talking about is a superficial or, uh, or even visceral fat. Well, how does that body fat accumulate? Well, if we go back to energy is neither created nor destroyed. It just takes a different form. When we consume calories in excess, our bodies are really good at storing those calories. And here's an example. If you think of a bear in the fall leading up 
to hibernation, that bear is consuming tons and tons and tons of calories in preparation for going into hibernation and over the course of the winter, not consuming calories. So it overconsumes calories prior to hibernation. It gains more body fat. It goes into hibernation. It doesn't consume calories for however many weeks or months that is. And it comes out of the cave or the den smaller than when it went in. Energy is neither created nor destroyed. It just takes a different form. It's stored excess calories as body fat before hibernation. During hibernation, it gave the energy back to the environment and it came out of the cave or den smaller. So that ultimately applies to human beings. So that was the first principle that I really wanted to um, have Deb really ground in. The next one is about the brain. M most specifically, the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus is about an almond-sized gland in the brain, and among other things, it helps regulate appetite. So here's how I want you to envision this. Imagine a stoplight. Now, the colors of the lights are irrelevant, but imagine a stoplight. And each one of those lights represents a component of the satiety mechanism within the hypothalamus. So satiety is just a fancy way of saying full. And what we want to do each and every time we eat is we want to light each of the lamps um, of that stoplight. Each one of those lights represents a macronutrient, so carbohydrate, protein, and fat. And we know when we haven't lit each of those lamps whenever, whenever we're eating or, or even the time immediately following cons consumption of calories, we know we haven't lit the lamps. Um, whenever we feel hungry or our, our blood sugar dips or whatever. So take someone who wants to eat healthy and they genuinely are making an effort to do this. And so what they pack for lunch is a chicken salad. So they've got um, grilled chicken breast on a bed of leaves, maybe a little bit of Parmesan, certainly no croutons because carbs are the scourge um, and maybe a fat-free dressing. And that is deemed quote healthy. It's not coincidental that an hour and a half later, that same person is standing in front of a vending machine. And if you actually went to talk to them, they might quite literally rip your face off. And then what do they ultimately grab in the vending machine? Maybe pretzels, maybe you know, chocolate snacks or whatever. It's because each of those lamps didn't get lit or didn't get lit in a measurable way. So certainly the protein lamp uh, got lit because of the protein in the chicken. But grilled chicken breast has very, very little fat in it. And if you recall, we had fat-free dressing with it and certainly the leaves don't have any fat in it. So the, you might have a itty bitty flicker uh, on the fat lamp. And then you look at the carbohydrate lamp is wh where's the carbohydrate? You get a little bit in the, in the leaves themselves, but they're ultimately negligible. And so the person doesn't feel good. They don't feel energized. They don't feel satiated or full. So an hour and a half later, they're standing in front of a vending machine. Well, what about this? What if that person packed a chicken salad, but instead of avoiding the croutons, uh, maybe add a few croutons or maybe add a, a breadstick and put fully leaded salad dressing on it? I mean, not to the point where the lettuce is a delivery system for the salad dressing, but 
enough so there's flavor and you can mix it in. And then all of a sudden, each of those lamps get lit. And you have nice controlled blood sugar until the next time you eat because it's foundational that when we control someone's blood sugar, we control when and how much they eat, provided that they're not, um, uh, you know, grossly under eating calories, but that's not for this conversation uh, today. So those are the first two main principles that uh, I wanted to get across to Deb. The third one is the delay that occurs between our digestive system and our central nervous system. It's commonly accepted that that delay, delayed signal, is about 20 to 25 minutes. And it's interesting because we just come out of the holiday season with Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we fully know, especially in any one of those days, we fully know when we've consumed too many calories after about 20 to 25 minutes from having started eating. I mean, this is this is your weird uncle that realizes when uh, he's on his second plate of food that he just feels absolutely miserable. He goes over to um, to the sofa, probably grunting a little bit and, you know, unbuckles the, you know, the or loosens his belt a little bit to be able to let his belly out. And you just don't feel good. Well, if you if you think if you think about it this way, it's like the central nervous system or uh, or your brain are, are making a phone call to the other one right whenever we start eating, but n- neither side is picking up until after about 20 to 25 minutes. And then the call connects and we realize in that moment, like, oh Lord, and you just, you just don't feel good. So those three principles are foundational to understand. And I know you know, interrupted the story with Deb and that's okay, because if you have any interest in learning about these non-disruptive changes, those are really three fundamental areas. We're not going to get into the biochemistry of, uh, of how proteins, carbs, and fats breaks down and, and all of it. We're not going to do that. These are really common sense, practical approaches that are designed to be non-disruptive uh, to your life. So law of thermodynamics, energy is neither created nor destroyed. It just takes a different form. You have the stoplight where every time we eat, we want to make sure that we get an appropriate amount of carbohydrate, protein, and fat to light each of those lamps. And then the third one is understanding that there is a delayed signal between our digestive system and our central nervous system. Okay. So I talked to Deb about each of those. Each of those made perfect sense to her. I'm like, okay. So Deb, here's what I want you to, um, here's what I want you to know. When you say you want to lose 50 pounds, I'm assuming it's body fat. Is that correct? She said, yes. Okay. Well, I asked her, did she know how many calories are in a pound of stored body fat, which she did. There are 3,500 calories in a pound of stored body fat. Like, okay. So the easiest way to do this is to create a small per day deficit where you're not noticing the absence of calories that you might have normally consumed. And we just divide 3,500 by seven, which is 500 calories per day that we want to create a deficit, provided that we're consistently in that deficit over that seven-day period, we'll track to lose about a pound a week. And you might be thinking, well, that gosh, I want to lose more than that. Well, there are some cases where you can lose more than that safely, but it's not typically recommended. Two pounds on the high side for sustainable uh, fat loss, but really about one pound per week 
Because if you remember the old fable that we learned as kids between the race between the tortoise and the hare, who won the race? Right? We're talking about sustainable weight control for not a three-month period, not just getting ready to go on a cruise or to get beach body ready. We're talking about this being sustainable for the rest of your life. So one pound a week is a 500 calorie per day deficit. I'm like, okay, so Deb, talk to me about your, your typical week. Well, at the time, she and her husband um, were, were very busy, very social, and they would eat out six nights a week. And you might be thinking, gosh, how can anyone think about losing 50 pounds eating out that many times per week? Take a listen. I'm like, okay, so give me an example of a restaurant that you typically would go to and what you would typically order. And I can't remember the name of the restaurant, uh, she told me, um, but she talked about ordering this turkey burger. And she said this thing was just the bomb. I'm like, okay, do you typically get French fries with that? She said, yes. I'm like, do you typically get wine with that? She said, yes. I'm like, okay, um, when are you planning on going next? And as it turns out, she was planning on going that night. I'm like, okay, here's what I want you to do. Because she had said whenever she had uh, gone on diets before that she didn't feel like she could participate in what other people were enjoying food-wise. I'm like, okay, so we're going to solve that one uh, right away. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to order your turkey burger with fries and order your glass of wine. And when the wait staff brings your turkey burger over, I want you to cut it in half. She's like, I, I typically do that anyway. The, the, it, it's, a, it's a large sandwich, uh, difficult to handle. I'm like, okay, so you're going to cut it in half and then you're going to glance at your watch. Just glance at it and no one needs to be any wiser because what you're going to be thinking about is that 20 to 25 minute delayed signal between your brain and your digestive system. Okay, so then enjoy the burger and with the French fries, enjoy the French fries and just, I, I don't know, count them eat 10 or 15 of them. Um, and don't tell anyone you're doing it. Just, just count them in your head. You still get to enjoy the fries and then, you know, enjoy your wine. And after about 20 to 25 minutes, so you have the other half of the turkey burger sitting there. You got a little, some extra fries there. After about 20 to 25 minutes, if you feel hungry, what I want you to do is drink eight ounces of water. And if 10 to 15 minutes after that, you are legitimately hungry, eat the other half of the turkey burger. But if you feel full, ask the wait staff to box that up and I just saved you six or $7 for lunch tomorrow. Because if you think about the stoplight, what we're doing is we're lighting each of the lamps. You have the carbohydrate lamp get, gets lit up because of the potatoes in the French fries, the bun on the sandwich. Uh, the protein lamp gets lit up with the protein in the turkey fat lamp gets lit up with the fat in the turkey and the fat in the oil that use, they're used to fry the french fries. And so each of those lamps were lit up. And so the next day, Deb pops her head in my office and I asked, how'd it go? She's like, I can't believe it. She's like, I felt amazing the rest of the evening and I didn't get hungry the rest of the evening. And then she holds up the other half of the sandwich from dinner last night. Really, really cool. That conversation happened in December of 2014. I moved on in July of 2015. 
to my current role uh, as uh, assistant professor at Grand Canyon University. And Deb had lost 46 pounds. Her original goal was to lose 50. She had lost 46 pounds. And I ran into her uh, a year or so ago. And she just looked amazing. She looked amazing. She was happy and healthy and um, just blown away. And I'm like, Deb, what, what have you been doing? And she's like, I've been, I just continued on everything that we talked about. She had ultimately lost 52 pounds and she was, she was legitimately mad at me because she had to buy a new wardrobe. <laughs> there is one other point I left out up until this point, because it's commonly accepted that as we get older, it gets more difficult to, um, lose weight and be able to, uh, sustain it long-term. At the time we had our initial conversation in December, 2014, Deb was 51. And so you can do uh, the math. So not only was she able to achieve just an unbelievable goal, she's been able to maintain it uh, and just been happy and healthy. And you might think, okay, so uh, Ed, this is a story in isolation. This couldn't possibly apply to me. I'm like, well, okay, well, I had an, another coworker, uh, Eduardo, who he and I went out to lunch once and we started talking about this and um, I gave him some really practical tools. Uh, turns out we uh, both ordered a burrito bowl uh, at, a, at a restaurant. I'm like, okay, so this is how easy this is uh, to create a calorie deficit where you, you ultimately don't miss it. So what I'm like, I don't know if you heard me, but whenever I ordered the burrito bowl, when they asked me if I wanted rice, I, I said yes. And I only wanted them to put one scoopful in because those spoonfuls of rice are about a half a cup of rice, which is roughly 125 calories. And I only had them put uh, one in. And then I got beans and chicken and all the other fixings. That was the only thing that I omitted was the second scoop of rice. And my hypothalamus, you know, that almond-shaped gland in my brain never missed it because I lit the lamp, carbohydrate lamp in the rice and the beans. I lit the protein lamp in the chicken, with the fat lamp in the sour cream and guacamole that and cheese that I had um, them uh, put on top. And my brain and body never missed the additional 125 calories. Now, if you think about doing that, you know, throughout the day, this is where this whole thing becomes non-disruptive, right? You can still enjoy what you wanted to enjoy. You're just being intentional on you know, pulling a few levers and tweaking a few dials. And he's like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. How would that apply to my life? I'm like, okay, so give me an example of uh, like a family dinner. And evidently every Saturday, he and his family would make chicken tostadas. I'm like, okay, how many do you normally have? He's like, well, I normally have six. I'm like, okay, so why don't you do this? Start with four and pay, pay attention to the, the time right when you start eating. Uh, that, remember that 20 to 25 minutes. And start with four. If after 20 minutes you feel hungry, drink eight ounces of water. If 10 to 15 minutes after that you feel hungry, eat the other two tostadas. I mean, no big deal. And so he did that. And much like Deb, he reported the exact same feeling of, uh, of satiety or fullness um, and he ultimately just didn't miss it. And after six weeks, he had, six weeks, he had lost 13 pounds. So this is really, really common sense and, and easy. You just have to um, be mindful and intentional with what it is that you're doing. So, and 
if, if you know you're going to go out with friends or if even if it's a spur of the moment thing uh, or you eat the same things every day, I mean, whatever the case may be, it's all about just understanding three basic principles, law of thermodynamics, understanding how the hypothalamus works, and that's the stoplight metaphor, and the delayed signal between the central nervous system and digestive system. Those give you a really, really sturdy foundation upon which to, uh, to base this. So a um, couple things related to fitness that I want to uh, clear up. Um, some myths you probably have all heard about you can't eat carbohydrate after six o'clock or you shouldn't eat it food after six o'clock. And the logic behind that is, is that um, you're probably sitting or resting the rest of the evening and not burning a lot of calories. The reality is we live in a hurry up to sit someplace else world anyway. Um, so we're pretty sedentary as a society anyway. Um, plus the body doesn't really think about that. It's a rolling 24 hour clock. Um, for those of you who know me, you know, I'm six foot four, um, about 180 pounds, nine and a half percent body fat. I'm 47 and a half years old. I'm in the best shape of my life. And I consume a full 60 to 70% of my calories about nine o'clock at night. So our bodies don't think in terms of a clock designed to organize our life, right? If you're supposed to show up for work at nine o'clock, you have an appointment to keep. And our bodies don't think like that. So it really comes down to personal preference. My preference is just to eat late. If you don't have that preference, that's totally fine. Maybe you want to eat early. It really comes down to how you want to fit that into your life. Uh, another myth, spot reduction. Uh, it doesn't, there's no amount of sit-ups or crunches you can do to get a six-pack. Um, you could do thousands of them a day and you will not get a six-pack. Six-packs are made in the kitchen, not the gym. Um, in terms of those trouble spots, this is the one and only thing we can blame on our parents where, where we lose uh, body fat first or last. That's the genetic component. We lose body fat from head to toe whenever we're in. Uh, a sustainable calorie deficit for uh, various periods of time. Um, but where we gain it first and lose it last, that's what we can blame uh, mom and dad for. Um, one other thing, and this is for the women uh, listening. Uh, if you think that lifting weights will make you bulky, please know that that is absolutely not the case. It will make you strong and lean. You don't have enough hormone uh, hormones to uh, create bulk. So worry not about that. Um, and then lastly, and this isn't a myth, but this really gets into how do you measure progress? And well, there are three quantitative ways and three qualitative ways to, to measure your progress. With regard to quantitative ways, certainly you can step on a scale and monitor uh, your weight. If you have access to someone who can take your body fat percentage, that's actually even better than just body weight because you might be altering your body composition with when what that means is body fat reduction with a little bit of lean muscle gain. That is certainly ideal. And then the third quantitative way is circumference measurements. So you put a measuring tape around certain areas uh, to see how you're progressing. Qualitatively, um, it's, your energy is going to go up. I mean, provided that you're not uh, underfed um, and that doesn't fit within this whole non-disruptive changes um, philosophy anyway, you're going to have better energy. 
Uh, your clothes are going to fit differently, as they did with Deb. She had to buy a new wardrobe. And you and other people are going to notice. It's commonly accepted. Other people will notice fat loss at somewhere between five and six pounds. Um, you'll uh, you'll no start noticing it for yourself somewhere between eight and ten. I mean, there's no hard and fast rule on that, but that's generally the case. So hopefully you got some uh, insight into how to go about achieving sustainable weight loss through non-disruptive changes. And I titled this episode Non-Disruptively -disrupt Simple on purpose because the approaches here could not be uh, more simple provided that you just think about them either ahead of time or you're aware of them in, in the moment. So think slow, steady, and sustainable. If you like what you heard today, uh, please subscribe to the podcast. Please consider giving it a five-star rating. Please also consider talking to your family and friends to have a listen so we can get the word out. Um, get in touch with the show at questconsultingservice.com slash questlifepodcast. You can send me an email regarding this episode or any future episodes. Really, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for joining the conversation. Happy New Year, everybody.